What did I eat last night? Wait a minute. This isn't my tastefully decorated ranch where I composed my literary masterpieces. This is a dungeon. How the heck did I end up here? <laughs> the kids stared across the West Texas sand dunes <clears throat> where he knew the judge. Once a huge pale man of a writhing mass of eldritch tentacles wanted to shoot him. The kid checked his revolver's drum. One bullet left. <coughs> he looked at the pale sand. The most crimson of liquid, that being blood, his blood, reflected in the setting sun. Why, judge? He shouted. Why are you such a homicidal maniac? The judge's only reply was a hideous, deformed screech. The kid knew his days were numbered. His only escape was into the endless desert. Being eaten by a monster or die of dehydration, it's called the human condition. But he had one way to stack the deck, so he put his big iron to his temple, and he tried to think of something poignant to say. But all he could think about... <laughs> but all he could think about was how the sunset split the horizon, which was sometimes called the meridian. Like... <coughs> like... <coughs> like blood. <coughs> um, who are you? Hey, let me out of here, man. Well, 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 my good doctor. What did you think of my evil story? Um, it's derivative. Let me out. But you can't go. <laughs> Not yet. You may have noticed the cough-cophony in my dungeon. A plague has struck my lair, my good doctor. <laughs> and my prisoners and I are in need of some medicine. I... what? You you imbecile, I'm a PhD, not an MD. <laughs> PhD in medicine? A PhD in comparative literature. <laughs> well, 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 well. It seems fate has thrown me a bone. I am the most prolific horror writer to ever put pen to page, and I have recently completed a masterpiece. Read it out loud, and I will let you go, provided you give me the home address of your physician so I can kidnap them. We are very sick down here. <laughs> well, I guess it won't be any worse than the drivel my students shit out. We shall see. Let me pull up my evil chair. <laughs> this story asks a simple yet brave question. What if a moose was a Dracula? The The moose who was a Dracula. The lodge was gigantic, a towering fusion of Gothic and Canadian architecture that brought forth feelings of maple syrup and no small amount of grade A uneasiness, especially in the body of one McCarthy Colgate, a woman of the city now dragged out to this wilderness retreat. A gentle but rugged hand graced her shoulder like a dove, and McCarthy looked upward for she was a short woman of 24 years, into the loving but vertically superior eyes of her husband-to-be, Mr. Jake D. Anemia. 
McCathy, he said, gently massaging her deltoids. I know you're a creature of the streets and alleyways, like a raccoon. But I don't want you to be afraid of nature's mighty cathedral, that being the forest. What better place to enjoy that cathedral than in this castle of a wilderness lodge, the Mooseblood Lodge? McCathy looked again at the Gothic architecture, mixed with the wilderness pioneer spirit. Moose antlers over the massive oak front doors. Moose gargoyles resting on all the eaves. Crenulations of moose dotted the mossy stone wall that served as a thin, veil-like barrier separating this pocket of humanity from the vast darkness of the Canadian wilds. I suppose so, she said, glancing back at the parking lot, where a sad jot of motor vehicles didn't even fill up one-twentieth of the parking spaces. I just wish there were more people here. In the city, there are always people around, but out here, it feels like... It's just the pair of us versus all the unsightly creatures of the night. Plus, I don't like the look of those Canadian spring breakers. Jake glanced over at the so-called beach, really just a spit of sand by the waters of Lake Moose Lake, where beflanneled co-eds chugged domestic Canadian beers out of a red and white beer bomb. Jake could tell it was a drinking race due to the chance of chuggy, chuggy, chuggy that echoed across the lake's Canadian waters. They seem a rowdy bunch, he admitted, but I bet they're polite. Anyway, we can't turn back now. You know that I'm an out-of-work hotel manager looking for a job, and we were invited here by the owner. He sent me a personal email himself. This is the best chance for me rejoining the workforce that I've gotten in months. But this was supposed to be an anniversary trip, not a work trip, McCarthy said. If I knew this was all business and no pleasure, I would have just stayed in St. Petersburg, Florida, city of a thousand desires, a place with actual beaches. The owner invited you specifically, Jake said, which was news to McCarthy, who felt her heart flutter at the thought of such a rich and powerful man singling her out for the invitation. Really? Me? She asked. And it was all Jake could do but not. It was at that moment that McCarthy felt the hairs on the back of her neck prickle to attention, as if a mysterious gentleman was watching her from the dark wood. She spun around, and scanned the wilderness from bark to soil. But her eyes were found wanting, for not even a speck of voyeuristic presence did they detect. What? Jake asked. Huh? McCarthy said. I, I thought I saw... Huh. I, I guess it was nothing. Come on, Jake said. Let's check in. They headed towards the large, castle-like oak doors, past the wooden statues of moose that formed a sort of king's walkway to their destination. Yet, McCathy couldn't shake the feeling that something was still watching her. She clenched her jaw and resisted the urge to look, meaning that she failed to notice the dark, quadrupedal shadow that hungrily watched her from the forest's dark embrace. Night had fallen, bringing with it its sweet delights and subtle terrors. The Canadian students were still on the beach, on which they had constructed a fire which flamed with the intensity of young love, as they all slobbered drunkenly on one another. Broziah peeled his lips off the co-ed he was kissing. He didn't even know the fellow's name, and stood up unsteadily. I have to take a big old piss, he announced to the group. His words went unheeded amongst the revelers, distracted as they were by each other's Canadian tongues. Oh, sorry. Uh, whatever. Broziah poo-pooed at his chums before staggering away. The northern woods were cool this time of night, which made it all the more bracing for Broziah to stumble through them. 
Drunk as he was, he didn't sense any sort of imminent danger as he leaned his forehead against the rough bark of a tree, dropped his shorts, and urinated. There was a snap from behind. Hello? He called. Who's there, then? There was no reply, apart from the rustle of gentle footpads somewhere behind him. He spun around, pee spraying like a warm, yellow fire hose in his wake. He felt hot breath on his neck and a gleaming, terrible presence behind him. He began to turn, but a mouth enveloped his neck, fangs pierced his jugular, and he screamed, throwing his head back, looking up at the moon and seeing antlers. McCathy pulled at her dress, frustrated that it wasn't fitting quite right. She hadn't worn this particular body-tight number since her St. Petersburg clubbing day some six years ago. But their host had made a specific request for her to wear something red, and this was all she had. You look ravishing, Jake said as the pair walked down a long hallway to the Moose Blood Lodge's private dining chamber. It's lucky you're not a fine wine, or else I could just drink you all up. McCathy blushed at the compliment. An unfortunate figure awaited them before two moosey doors. Chesterfield, drawn and bespectacled, he looked like a corpse, and his dusty tuxedo looked as if he robbed it from a freshly dead prom king. He bowed low as the couple approached him. Welcome to the private dining room, he intoned, his voice as gravelly as the grave. The master awaits you. Um, master, Jake asked, do you mean the owner? Chesterfield smirked. Of course, he muttered. How silly of me. Right this way. He pushed the doors open and led the pair to a long dining room, where a long open table awaited them. And there, at the end of the table, stood a moose. It was thin and pale, maybe even sickly, and it wore a collared black and red cape that lay across its back like a blanket. It stood on all fours, not that unusual for a moose, but certainly unusual for the owner of a castle-like lodge in the Canadian wilderness. Excuse me, Jake said. Um, but where's the owner? The master, Chesterfield intoned, bowing low to the hairy beast, is here. A moose, Jake and McCathy exclaimed simultaneously. Precisely, Chesterfield said. He led the baffled Floridians to their chairs at the opposite end of the table from the great woodland beast who had yet to react in any meaningful way. Yet, despite its lack of response, or maybe because of it, McCathy found herself bedazzled by the creature. How did a moose come to own a woodland lodge? McCathy wondered. That, Chesterfield said, pulling out her chair, is the sort of question one doesn't ask. Well, Jake said, trying to salvage the situation that his wife-to-be so blunderingly screwed up. Why don't we all start with a nice wine? The moose lazily turned its head to Chesterfield. The master, Chesterfield said, doesn't drink wine. Well, what the heck does he drink, Jake asked, (laughs) laughing the laugh of a man who sees his job prospects slipping away. Hard liquor? He pulled out a flask from his jacket pocket. Because I got that covered too. McCathy pinched the bridge of her nose in irritated embarrassment. I'm sorry, she said to their host, the moose. My husband-to-be has a schnapps problem. Jake scoffed. (laughs) Uh, I do not have a... McCathy slammed her hand on the table. Everyone knows it, Jake, she shouted. Jake looked aghast. 
Such an outburst was unheard of from a woman who was once described as docile as a cow. McCarthy looked down at her knees, shaking her head. Everyone in the whole neighborhood knows. Well, I mean, come on, who doesn't like a schnapps now and again? Jake rallied with a laugh. He took a swig of his peach schnapps, the hard stuff, and pointed the bottle at the moose. You Canadians sure do, right? Nothing to do but to drink in the winter, eh? The master, Chesterfield said ominously, looking at McCarthy's elegant plunging neckline, does enjoy a nice long winter drink, it is true. But come now, my friends, let us no longer talk of schnapps and wine. Let us instead hear why you, Jake Anemia, would be a good fit here at the Moose Blood Lodge. Thunder pealed as Chesterfield finished the words. McCarthy heard Jake launch into his pitch, over-energetic and under-intelligent as always. But she tuned out, as she always did, instead enamored by the way the moose's cape accentuated the gentle curve of its long back or how the tuft of brown hair beneath its chin gave it the appearance of a goatee, or how its eyes, its mesmerizing eyes were deep, so deep, like bottomless pools. McCarthy awoke with a gasp and clutched the sheets and bedding to her supple frame. The last thing she remembered, the moose's deep, ageless gaze. And now she was in her room, her husband-to-be Jake snoring next to her, his loud night breath reeking of schnapps and obliviousness. She narrowed her eyes at his supine form and shook him. Hey, she whispered. Hey, did I drink too much last night? Did I black out? In the far north, they call it the peach sleeps. And despite never hearing the term, McCarthy quickly realized that her besotted husband-to-be would not be waking until beams of sunlight burst through the curtains, like spears into a formation of conscripted peasants. She crossed her arms with a shiver and looked about the room, trying to spot the source of the cold that leached into her cartilage and bones. The window was open. Sheer, white curtains fluttered in a chilly breeze like ghosts. McCarthy got to her feet and went to close them. But her hands stopped short as she spotted something sinister lurking in the forest below. Four legs. Antlers. Huge. Could it be? She blinked, and the figure was gone. The windows slammed shut with a sudden and powerful force, causing McCarthy to jump backwards with a shout. Jake rolled over in their rented bed and muttered, Mmm, schnapps. With a longing in his voice McCarthy hadn't heard since the first night they made sweet love under the Floridian sky. The breeze was gone, but the cold remained. She wandered over to the thermostat and cranked it up to 89, but nothing seemed to change. She held her feminine hand in front of one of the room's vents, but no hot air blew from it. The thing was as still as a heating vent in a tomb. Something had to be done, so she went into the hallway. She shut the door slowly. It creaked. The hallway was chilly too, and a breeze of utter darkness blew down its incorrigible length. A window at the far end of the hallway was open, turning the place into a poor man's wind tunnel. McCarthy shivered. The light suddenly flickered, casting the hallway into darkness for just a moment. But a moment was all the hallway needed. For in that instant, something appeared in the hallway. A dark, hulking quadruped, antlered and mysterious. McCarthy gasped when the lights flickered back on and she saw the beast standing there. Unmistakably a moose, but not just any moose. 
Its high-collared cape and soulful eyes revealed it to be the Moose, their host and the lodge's owner. You! she gasped, putting a hand to her tender breast, feeling her heart all aflutter. From what? Fear or excitement? She couldn't entertain the latter. Not now, not with her husband-to-be, just a door's journey away. Lights flickered again, and in the momentary darkness, something whooshed by McCathy's head, bringing with it the sound of beating, leathery wings. She shrieked and flailed her arms, trying to keep whatever flapping beast that had appeared free from her lustrous hair. The hallway's lights flickered back on, and not only was there no flying creature trapped in her locks, but the moose at the end of the hallway, that mysterious, dark figure who set her spirit to tingling, was gone too. She rushed down the hallway, heading toward the rustic elevator that would lead her to reception. The elevator dinged just as she reached it, the elevator doors opening up as if they were waiting for her. She took one step inside and then screamed. The elevator car was packed full of Canadian spring breaker bodies, stacked up in neat rows like firewood. The most crimson of liquids, that being blood, flowed out of the elevator, running in tiny rivulets into the cracks and knots of the polished wood floor. She tumbled backwards, shrinking, almost falling over before smashing into a wall. She leaned against the cool, dead wood, sobbing. The elevator was a no-go, so she ran to the stairs, slippers clicking across the floor, but the door was locked no matter how hard she pulled on it. She had to get down, but if the stairs were locked, the only way down was... She looked back at the elevator. Its doors hadn't closed, not all the way, because they kept bumping against a dead Canadian arm. Kakunk, kakunk, kakunk. Given enough time, McCarthy assumed the doors would cut through the unfortunate limb, but time was a luxury she just didn't have. Get to the front desk. Tell them about the bodies. Tell them about the cold. She hesitated at the elevator doors. Could she do it? Could she really ride in an elevator full of corpses? The answer was yes. She moved the bodies aside with some firm kicks and made herself a little cubbyhole surrounded by bloody carnage. Now, arm-free, the elevator doors finally shut. McCarthy pressed the L button, and the old elevator jerked to life with a downward whine. And that's when the terror really started. A cracking, creaking sound assaulted her senses. She looked down to her feet, where she saw a bedenimed Canadian body twitching like a poisoned spider. The dead young man's head jerked back with a squishy, cracking sound, and McCarthy saw something blood-soaked and brown plow its way through the top of its head. Antlers! Moose antlers! A low, pained moan emerged from the unfortunate boy's dead lips. His body squirmed, arms and legs flailing like possessed pool noodles. McCarthy screamed as all the corpses began to moan and gyrate, their skulls cracking open, moose antlers ripping their skin apart. McCarthy cried as she pressed the emergency stop button manically, but the elevator didn't stop. It just kept going. McCathy felt a presence behind her and turned to see one of the Canadian college students standing behind her, their odd, leaning posture and dull eyes, speaking to the unspeakable evil this Bacchanalian co-head had already experienced. The Canadian student grinned drunkenly, and watery blood dripped down the over-large fangs that now dominated her pretty little mouth. Party time, eh? She gurgled. McCathy backed away as the woman threw her head backward 
and bellowed the unmistakable call of a moose. McCathy covered her ears and shrieked all the more as the elevator car reverberated with the evil sound. The doors dinged behind her, and McCathy stumbled out of the elevator as the other coeds began to rise. Sorry, the moose woman said, but we'll be needing your blood. In a panic, McCathy reached into the elevator and pressed the top floor button. The doors began to slowly close, but the moose spawn just stood there, watching her. Going up? McCathy asked as the doors finally closed, carrying the monsters far, far away. She breathed a much-deserved sigh of relief as she rested her head against the cool metal doors of the elevator. Something was going on in this lodge. Something evil and moosey. Something McCathy couldn't possibly hope to defeat on her own. She needed the police. Heck, she needed the Mounties. She turned around looking for a phone or for anyone who could help her find a phone when she felt a vice-like grip on her soul. The moose was there, in the lobby. Its cape billowed in an ethereal breeze. Its huge collar was starched perfectly. Its eyes bored into her inner self. Entranced as she was by the magnificent beast standing before her, she didn't even hear Chesterfield approach her from the side. He's been waiting for you, Chesterfield whispered in her ear. Waiting for a long, long time. McCarthy gulped in romantic terror. Who? Who do you mean? The moose? She asked. Chesterfield snorted with derisive laughter. This is no mere moose, he said, and McCarthy had to agree. Even though it was just standing there, looking at her, the moose had a dark je ne sais quoi, some sort of malevolent animal magnetism that she just couldn't quit. Chesterfield continued. This is the moose who is a Dracula. It was then that the moose smiled, revealing, nestled between its massive, moosey teeth, gigantic fangs that glistened like sharp daggers of the night. McCathy gasped, the sight of those wicked chompers almost putting her in a tizzy. A bell rang. McCathy looked at the front desk, where a Canadian frat boy was drunkenly ringing the service bell. Hey! He bellowed. Hey, I need me a toothbrush. I need me an apple and a, a toothbrush. I need me two toothbrushes and a bushel of... He squinted as he noticed the moose. Is that moose a Dracula? He asked. Faster than the quickest viper could strike the slowest mouse, the moose whipped around and latched its Goliath-esque fangs into the young man's throat. The frat boy screamed until his screams became whimpers and whimpered until his whimpers became gurgles. And then he died empty of his precious blood. But the moose who was a Dracula wasn't done, not by a long shot. It clamped down even harder on the unfortunate lad's neck and shook the body like a dog with a chew toy, using the centrifugal force of his ministrations to wring every last drop of precious crimson suck juice. Someone gently put their hands on McCathy's shoulders. It was Chesterfield. There was a maniacal gleam in his servant's eyes. He chose you, Chesterfield continued, out of every moose and woman in the world. He chose you. McCathy's lips trembled. For what? She asked. Chesterfield chuckled for a spell before answering. To be his bride, he finished. The Canadian lad's body dropped to the floor, and McCathy gasped. His bride? She asked. 
But he's a moose who's a Dracula and I'm a woman. I'm practically married anyway. But was she? Was she really? She thought about her stupid husband-to-be Jake, who drank schnapps like he was training for the National Schnapps Drinking Olympics, who ignored her needs on a daily basis, who turned their anniversary into a work trip, who dragged her to this god-awful lodge in the middle of the wilderness. Is that the sort of thing a real husband-to-be would do? Is that the sort of thing a moose would do? She locked eyes with the moose, who was a Dracula, one last time. Then she smiled. Jake awoke with a gasp that nearly metamorphosized into a scream of delicious terror. His peach nightmares were very vivid this night. In them, he dreamed McCathy divorced him, but not before taking him for all he was worth, sucking him dry, so to speak. He rolled over with a moan. His head was pounding, something he had become used to as he sank deeper and deeper into that calm and endless pool known as alcoholism. He touched the touchscreen on his name brand smartphone, which bombarded his sensitive eyeballs with unwelcome pixels. 3 a.m. Ugh, why is it always 3 a.m.? He patted the bed next to him, feeling around for his beautiful wife-to-be. But she wasn't there, and the window was open, sheer white curtains fluttering like ghosts. A light clicked in the room, and Jake saw a moose. This wasn't the moose that owned the lodge. It was different, thinner, shorter, more feminine. It had a cruel glint in its eyes. Something about it reminded him of, McCarthy? he asked. And the moose oh so subtly nodded. Then it smiled, revealing fangs. Well now, what say you? Critique me like one of your students. <laughs> it's... Somehow, the least derivative thing I've ever read. Excellent. The language itself, I mean, beflanneled. You're inventing words like Shakespeare. Is he a horror writer? I've got to take this to my publisher at once. Um, please, please let me go. Oh, <laughs> hot dog. Ooh. Okay, let me fiddle with this lock here. <laughs> <coughs> oh, God, I feel terrible. <coughs> I've caught your dungeon plague. No. No. <coughs> doctor? Are you dead, doctor? Steve, bring me my poking stick at once. Huh? Come on. Come on, be alive. Be alive, please. Blast it so much for my big break. This ain't the human condition. I don't know what is. Now, Steve, go and find us a real doctor <coughs> of medicine. Maybe that Dr. Phil or Dr. Oz I hear about on the TV. This episode was performed by Robert Thomason and Lord Serpent. It was edited by Charles Brock and Lord Serpent. The Moose Who Was a Dracula was written by Charles Brock and Lord Serpent. It was produced by Stacey Milborn, Michael Morgan, Charles Brock, and Lord Serpent. Michael Morgan and Lord Serpent were the audio engineers. The music was composed by Charles Brock and Lord Serpent. Tune in next week for even more of my horrific tales of madness and terror. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at Lord Serpent's Library and check out my homepage at rss.com slash podcasts slash Lord Serpent's Library. <laughs>